What happens when two parent coaches, one a Christian and the other an agnostic Jew, sit down to talk about parenting? I'm Dina Thayer. And I'm Kira Dorian. Welcome to Raising Adults, a podcast about future-focused parenting. Hello, and welcome to Raising Adults podcast. Well, it's a big one today, but I'm excited about it because I have experience with this one. So today we are going to be tackling substance abuse and how do you talk to your kids about drugs and alcohol? What are the things you're planning to do around that? And I'm going to let you start, Kira, because I have obviously a lot of thoughts on this topic because we've kind of been through it with one of our children. So I will at least share my why. My why is I had parents who participated in some, like they drank around us and whatever, and it wasn't the end of the world, but it made me not want to do that as an adult. And then also now having a child who's been through it, it's really important to me to get this right because it's pretty prevalent in our society and there's so many areas where children get exposed to things younger and younger. And we talk a lot on this podcast about thinking ahead and being proactive rather than reactive and all of those things. And so I think those all those all those principles apply but you as parents out there have to think about how are you going to handle this if it hasn't come for you yet and then if it has is there any course corrections maybe you could be making and so i have to be honest that my why wasn't oh late the foundations weren't laid super long ago some of it has been on the fly and we've talked about that i mean sometimes parenting happens because something you get thrown a curveball i was very much prepared for this conversation because I knew I had strong feelings about it. Having seen it growing up, I didn't want anything to do with it. And I knew what I was going to say. And I had all my best laid plans. And that doesn't always work out. So I just want to at least say for me, my why is coming primarily from experience. And so that's important to note. And then I'll let you just start and I can share in a little bit. Okay. Yeah, I think my why is probably the same as most parents why. No one wants their kids addicted to anything, right? We want our kids to be healthy and functional and have great coping mechanisms. And um, But I think that, and I know because this is one of the times where we really did discuss this episode before we launched into it. Mm. And um, we usually don't do that, everyone. We usually just say, hey, we're going to talk about this. And record. record. <laughs> um, but this was one where we had a a really good discussion and I think that for me my my why was that I want them to have a healthy relationship with anything that they engage with that sh- that I'm trying to think how to even say this because to me let me just launch into the how so I said to Dina before we hit record that I think this is a little bit like when my husband found out we were having twins and he's a twin so he was like oh it'll be fine I'm a twin and I was like, yeah, I don't think being a twin and raising twins are the same thing. Not quite the Not same. quite. And I think this topic is kind of like that. I was raised by parents who had a really healthy relationship with alcohol um, and who had dabbled in drugs when they were young and were comfortable with me dabbling in drugs when I was young, but also set up really smart um parameters around that and really just encouraged me to have a healthy relationship with anything that you do sometimes and I think it was always presented like there's a big difference between I I sometimes go skydiving and I have to go skydiving every single day Mm -hmm. um so but I say all of that because my kids are seven So I can have all the philosophies in the world about this topic and I'm certainly happy to share what worked for me as a child um but I haven't had 
a teenager yet. I haven't had a young adult yet. And so I don't know how this is going to play out. And I just want to be really sensitive to the fact that Dina has seen this play out. Um, and so, again, like being a twin and raising twins are not the same thing. Um, so I'll just share a little bit about what I experienced growing up and mm-hmm. some of the conversations Dave and I are having because we're actually really not on the same page about this yet. Oh, and it is requiring more and more conversations. Um, so my parents, I think I've said this before, like they were pretty, not hippies, but they were <laughs> they were forward thinking for their time. And they really, I think, had this philosophy, which we've talked about, of the boundaries here and everything within it is free range. And there was also this real level of trust that they put in me. It was assumed that I was going to make the right choice. And only when I didn't, which was rare, did that have a fallout. And I think there was also this underlying current, they never said it, of if you mess up around this topic, even once, it's all over. Like, it all goes away. We are giving you some space around this because we believe that you deserve it. But if you show us even once that you don't, it's over. Mm-hmm. And so I felt a responsibility to live up to that, right? Like, my parents were pretty cool compared to most other parents. Um, and I did not want to ruin that or disappoint them. So I think that helped a lot in what they did. Saying that, they were very open. Um they didn't drink. Neither of them are big drinkers. And I'm actually not a big drinker as a result of that, I think, because it just wasn't modeled. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas Dave, my husband, is English, so he likes his beer. Um, so the modeling in our home already is a little bit different. Um, Even between the two of you. Right. Totally. Because they hardly ever see mommy drink. And daddy pretty much has a beer every day, you know. Okay. Um, so there's a little bit of that that's different. Um, but when it came to drugs, their attitude was, I'd rather, I, I believe that you're going to do it because we did it. We cannot expect you to do anything differently than we did. And we would rather you do it with us where we know that you're safe than not with us where we don't know what's happening. And so the way that fell out was um, when I was 14, I told my mom I was kind of getting curious about marijuana and what that was like and she said well if you're going to do it I'd rather you do it with me and we had she had a friend who smoked marijuana and so she called her friend and got a joint and we smoked a joint together and that was my first exposure to drugs was with my mom she doesn't she didn't I mean she's not here anymore but she didn't smoke pot outside of that situation she had when she was younger but she saw it as an opportunity to be with me in case something went wrong and to work with me and talk me through it Um, And so it was something that, you know, through high school, I occasionally had a joint. I occasionally went to a party and drank. They also said, and I loved this, they said, if you ever are drunk at a party, you have to call us. We will not, you will not get in trouble. You will only get in trouble if you don't call. And I think that's what I liked most about what they did. There were no illusions of like, and this is, I'm trying to think how to put this, but you know, I, th- I like the idea that parents should not expect their children to behave any differently than they did. Saying that, everybody is different in terms of what they've done. So for someone like you who saw anything related to substance and went, no, thank you, it's perfectly reasonable for you to expect that your kids are going to do, that, that you can't set an expectation for them mm-hmm. to do differently than you. But for me, as someone who has done drugs in the past, I can't be like, you're never doing <laughs> drugs. Because who am I to say that, Right. Um, so I think that helped a lot. There was a little bit of like, you know, we're not idiots. We know this stuff happens. And to, the message was over and over and over again, we just want to know and be involved so that we can keep you safe. 
they also had a lot of conversations about the difference between a natural drug and a chemical drug. And, you know, it's different now even mm -hmm. than when they were because natural drugs even are laced with all sorts of stuff. But, um, you know, they kept saying things like it's the chemical stuff that is the scariest and the most dangerous and the most addictive. So please don't ever touch that. And I got that feeling from them of like there's this kind and this kind and we don't even talk about that kind. That's a no, no go. And I remember one time when I was in my 20s, I mentioned to my father that a friend of mine was doing E regularly and I was thinking about trying it. And he was so cool. I don't know how he did this. I think you've talked about the like stunned on the inside yes. and Oscar performance on the outside. And he just said, well, you know, he kind of normalized it. He was like, I can see why you're thinking about doing that. He said, I just want you to think about something. You know, some people have like a such a strong reaction to E that they die, right? It's one of those. It's rare, but it happens. Mm -hmm. And he said, I just think it would be such a waste if you were one of those people. And then he left it. He left it with me. He tr and I can't, I can't even imagine how he did that, right? <laughs> like you're sitting there and you're like, oh, okay. So I'm just going to share my thoughts with you. Yeah. But he did. While freaking out on the inside, right? possibly. But because he didn't, because he sent the message of, I want you to think about this, but I trust you. That over and over, we trust you, we trust you, we trust you. I never tried it. And I really think that's testament to the parenting. So like I said, I, I don't know how this is going to fall out with my two. Um, interestingly, Dave is far less concerned about alcohol because he drinks mm. um, and totally disagrees with me about drugs. He's like, they'll never do drugs. I was like, okay, well... I disagree, and I'm, I don't actually have a problem with it if it's a reasonable. It's not something that's happening every day. It's a sometimes thing. I don't have a problem with that. And so he and I are constantly, you know, having to look at this because it's not that far away probably, unfortunately, even though mm -hmm. they're seven. So all that is to say that, you know, the way that my parents handled it worked really, really well for me. For you. And the yeah. other smart thing they did, and I think, it, again, it comes down to what works for your family based on your expectations, your own experience, etc., and your kid. You've got to know your kid. For sure. Um, but one of the things I think they did well, considering that they weren't a no-substance family, was the parties were at our house. And that's a huge risk that they took, I think, letting the parties be at our house. But their attitude was, we want to know you're safe. So we're going to have it here mm -hmm. and we're going to take keys and we're going to and they just were able to put some really smart. I think their attitude was it's going to happen whether we know about it or not. We'd rather know about it, take keys and keep everyone safe. Um, and so I think that worked really well for them and for me. Now, if I was a different kid, who knows? So, again, I, I come back to I haven't raised my kids through this yet. So I can only speak to what worked for me and what I would hope to emulate for them. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It does. And I think it's really key that you said that piece about knowing your own child because some respond really well to hearing, I trust you. I'm pretty confident you're going to do the right thing. So I only need to put up these few little fences here and there. And, and I, and then there's other, I think children and teens who take that as kind of this license to almost do whatever and it can go sideways. It, so it's a lot about knowing your child and a lot about talking about this ahead of time. So especially because you guys aren't exactly identical yet, it's good that you and Dave are talking about it. And we, this is, this is exactly what we chat about all the time because it's way better to have your approach ready to go than to have to be on your heels and going, Oh, now what? 
And I speak from experience. So we'll see what today is like. I don't know. It might be really emotional for me. I might get through it just fine. We'll see. But it is important to me that I just give a little disclaimer to say I have I have spoken with all the people that I need to to have permission to talk about this. But I'm going to be very careful. And secondly, I'm primarily going to be talking about my experience as a family member of an addict and how that impacted me because that is my story to tell and I'm allowed to share it but I want to be really considerate that the other people's stories are theirs so just wanted to get that out of the way I've I've talked to talked to everyone in advance so the the how in our family was a little bit created as we went and that's not ideal I want to be really forthright about that but as our listeners know, we have children who, at least at some point in their lives, were not with us 100% of the time. So they're going back and forth, and sometimes an issue will crop up while they're with you that wasn't even a thing last time they were with, with you. So that's been that's been what it is. It's unfortunate, but it is what it is. So in our family, we did have a child who ended up dealing with an addiction issue and we're actually kind of still working it out it's still happening so it's not easy I just want to share today kind of what that was like for me because I think parents need to hear hey this is going to impact you if you get too much of the attitude of well it's going to be fine it'll all work out in the end and think that there isn't a ripple effect onto you as a parent that's i would really caution against that because it affects the whole family if you have more than one child it definitely will affect siblings so i want to make sure to share about that and then the other thing is just being really real about what we maybe wish we would have done differently and i've actually asked scott too and so i would love to share some of that so for us about a year ago is when we found out that we had a child who was struggling with some of this and we took very swift action. It was literally within 24 hours we had this child in treatment and I'm talking inpatient sleeping there. So it was not a joke to us. We weren't just going to go find a meeting or start with this really soft entry. We wanted to hopefully just nip it in the bud. And I think something for me as a mom my thinking was this is about saving a life because when these things go too far down the trail literally people die and that is not overstating it so to me when the internal mama bear comes out it's this is life or death so who cares how much it costs who cares you know how it disrupts our life this is what you have to do to save your person so that's that's a important thing to note you might have to take time off work, you'll be your schedule's going to look wonky. I mean, we were at the treatment facility several times a week and nights, weekends, whatever, because you just go when you can. And when the visiting hours are there, you're going to be there. That's it. I wanted to be there every time that I could. And super kudos to my husband because he was there so much. And I just, I, I love that, that I think sometimes it's easy to think that moms are kind of this primary, and I think we even still do that here in 2019. So I love that there was also this awesome dad figure in the mix. I thought that was great. So we went right to inpatient. That was just our personal choice. I would say I'm not someone who can give legal advice or whatever, but if your insurance will help do that, I mean, it's much better for them to just get immediately surrounded by people who can help them. And I think 
that was really positive to not have it be just a couple hours and the rest of the time you're still in your same environment to actually remove you from your environment and get that support I thought was really great but it was not easy it was a very strange a very strange month because we also were missing a person at our house and that was that was not easy we both had to miss some work for the process of admission and all of that and so there's a lot of logistics but I just for our purposes it was what needed to be done because there were some it wasn't just something small we had to kind of take it seriously there was some other things going on and I also will say that I think there can be something I've heard a lot now that I'm kind of walking this a little bit is things like well it's just weed or just I I'm I get feisty about that at this point like spicy meatball (laughs) there's no just fill in the blank substance because for any number of people that might be their particular gateway to a lot of other things and a lot of the things I think we would think maybe are mild such as I think some people do this with alcohol and I think it's pretty common with marijuana especially we're here in Washington where it's legal for over 21 and so I think there can be this idea that we just kind of dull the senses to it it's just fine it's no big deal but for a developing mind, that's very different. And again, I'm not a doctor. This is me being real about things I learned going through it with a child. But especially for the developing brain, there's no such thing as just pot, just alcohol, just fill in the blank. Those things change the brain chemistry. And frankly, it's not overstating it to say that person's really never quite the same. You're talking about if it's really regular use though, right? Because Mm -hmm. I, I just... It's so tricky because I think there are going to be parents that they smoke pot themselves or, you know, they drink themselves. And um, to, to my mind, it's it's that same idea of alcohol. Alcohol is a great example. It's legal. Some people can have a really healthy relationship with it. You know, I have a glass of wine like once mm-hmm. a month and I'm mm-hmm. totally fine. But some people can't. And so that's true. I, I sort of want to make sure that we're at least discussing that, that like I don't know that. I don't know that everyone would feel like that's the same. Does that make sense? But I think what you're saying, and I would totally agree, is that if you've got a child that's smoking pot every day, well, that's like a child drinking alcohol every day. And even though the alcohol, and in our state, the weed is legal and supposed to be like a sometimes thing, that if it becomes an everyday thing, now we've moved a perfectly quote-unquote safe substance into an absolutely not safe category. Yeah, I would totally agree. I think when I'm saying we can't say just fill in the blank, it's for someone who's now grown to kind of depend on that or need it all the time. Oh, I almost need it to function. I feel really rotten without it. Then we don't get to say just whatever. Yeah. Someone who has a glass of wine with dinner. I don't I don't even have an issue with that, even after having gone through this, because I really recognize that people can have a healthy relationship with alcohol and and maybe even with with other drugs. But I don't I don't think we get to say just whatever when it's become to that level because it really changes things in those growing brains. They're changing and developing all the time. You Absolutely. Know, and, until you're adults. So, yes, that's an important distinction to make. And it, I think it's just an easy kind of excuse people fall on. You know, oh, yeah, I'm doing it all the time, but it's just whatever. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So that that was what we did initially and I'm not sorry about it I don't make apologies for it I think it was it was great and it was right 
some of the things I think now that we look back that we wish had been different and we would have probably even done different, I think is asked a lot more questions and probably sooner. And I'm speaking for myself here. I tend to be between Scott and I, I'm the more suspicious parent. And so I'm already kind of like, mm, I just don't know if I believe that. And I, I'm going to be honest, I kind of secretly love that about myself because very few things get by me. Mm. And I love when I hear about your parents and that they were, you know, basically sending the message, we trust you, you're going to do the right thing. And I, well, I work to get there. So basically the way I have parented is you show me over time that I can trust you and then you get to have that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to actually, I probably almost too much and I'll admit this about myself that I probably err too much on the I'm going to assume you're not going to do the right thing and then when you prove me wrong I'm going to be thrilled and it's you're going to earn some more privileges mm. around that so mm. literally just this week I was able to do that for um, one of our children who just has demonstrated consistent time and again responsibility and we've had a policy nobody of the opposite gender comes over uh, if we're not home. Mm -hmm. And Scott and I were out and my daughter asked to have a friend over from school who was a boy. And my first response was, no, 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 we're not here. Absolutely not. And then I had to remember what you just said, Kira, is look at the child. And I thought, mm, based on what she's shown me, I don't, I, I, I can do something different here. And so I said, actually, I want to really reward your responsibility in this area. So while I'm going to say, stay out of your bedroom, Mm -hmm. You can have your friend over. I love and that. so I think it's okay to treat things case by case and, and child by child. And the same for me is true here. And so even though I err on the side of being more suspicious, I wish I'd even gone maybe a little more there and just asked more questions and been really curious. Or if I didn't feel comfortable making sure that I was talking to Scott a lot and asking him a lot of questions and what do you think about what we're seeing? Because we want to look at our children and notice patterns that we're seeing and then talk about what do we do. And I think that's, I don't know, maybe maybe every parent has some area where they kind of look back and go, I could have done a little better there. But that, that certainly was one for me. I could have just had more questions. And even I think the message that questions send is not always accusatory. It's I want to invest in mm -hmm. you. I'm interested in what's going on. Yeah, I want to understand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's. That's something for me. And and then for Scott, because I mentioned I would, I asked him to. And so I suppose for him, this will out a little bit, but not in anything, any bad way. But he really wishes that he had kind of fought harder to have his children with us full time. And so I think that's going to be just a unfortunate regret for him. We now have two of them full time. But I think he's looking back and saying, oh, you know, if there'd been a little bit earlier intervention or they'd had the stability of being in our home 100% of the time, a little bit before this, we don't know. Would it have even been different? But it's it's hard that he has that, well, what if, that wondering. And so he was really honest with me when I chatted with him about this episode that, yeah, I would say that's something I just kind of wish I had gone to bat a little bit more and a little bit sooner to just have that influence and that access all the time, not just every other weekend or what have you. So, I mean, woulda, coulda, shoulda. This is real life. But here's what I'll say now, because I've now had some experience with this. We have some younger ones, and it's I. I this is going to maybe sound crazy, but I want to just say to anyone who's going through this, if, if you have siblings, there is a silver lining to them watching 
and seeing what's going on because they see that it's not cute, it's not cool, it's not pretty when it gets to this level. It's not fun. It's not even fun. The person doesn't feel good when they're going through withdrawal. It can be kind of scary. I know that for us as parents, it was really hard. Our particular child was the youngest person at this treatment facility. And I know I was thinking, well, are they scared? Are they feeling lonely? Like that was just really hard. Are they feeling lonely? We couldn't be there. And that's important that they're removed and that they're not with you, but it's just hard. But I will say for the other children in the home to see the side of it that isn't so cool, because I think that's the thing that happens even as early as middle school, sometimes late elementary, is the first time drugs or alcohol or whatever it is are presented, it's it's kind of because it's presented in this way that this is cool, this is maybe what popular people are doing, or maybe there's almost this allure because it's kind of secretive, or we can hide and do it, and it's fun, and it makes you feel good. And I think for me, that removing that veil and seeing the parts that weren't cool mm-hmm. and weren't fun as sad as that is, I think that was positive, if I can say Mm -hmm. that. Does that make sense? Oh, uh, absolutely. And I think it's really important that if you're a parent who's maybe more aligned with my view of, you know, I I fully expect that my children are going to do drugs at some point. I hope that it's marijuana and that I can keep a good tab on it and that it can be in a healthy relationship. That those conversations about here's what it can look like if this gets out of hand. Right. You have to be having those too. It's not just like a, oh, I'm not going to worry until there's a problem. Even at seven, we have already had conversations about what is the difference between a chemical drug and a natural drug? What are the fallouts of getting addicted to drugs? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? We've already had those conversations. And I want to be clear, Dave and I, Dave and I do not do drugs. I mean, I did in the past, nothing major and never in an in a everyday way. It was always just a nice to have. Um, but we don't anymore. And But I know there are families where the parents here in Washington, it's legal. So the parents smoke pot, mm-hmm. the kids see it. Um, I personally don't have an issue with that. But I think that those conversations have to come with it. Mommy and daddy have a healthy relationship with this. It's a sometimes thing. Um, this is what happens when it turns away from sometimes and into addiction, just like I would assume and I would hope that families are having this conversation around alcohol. You need to be having the same conversations around drugs. Mm-hmm. I think I know we're getting to the end here, but I just want to make sure I also talk about the vocabulary of that, something I've talked to Scott about, and he's really receptive. So again, just he gets major shout outs, but he also is different than me. I don't touch anything. And he likes to drink like he likes his whiskey or whatever and I was noticing there was a season there where if he had a really hard day or the kids were being frustrating or we were refereeing a bunch of teenage fights which are just like bigger toddler fights they're no fun (laughs) it's like okay great it's just toddlers who can shave (laughs) but you're still refereeing he would say I need a drink Mm -hmm. so we had some long talks about the message that sends that now you're saying you need a substance to cope with your life and wow you guys that's something to be very careful of well and I think it really comes back to and, and again I'm almost hesitant to say this because of the whole being a twin and raising twins are not the same but I I think it also comes back to where mental health is so important Because if you are arming your children with good, positive coping mechanisms, they are less likely to reach for drugs and alcohol as a coping mechanism versus a fun thing to do. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so, 
again, I don't, I won't know until my kids are grown whether that theory pans out. But I, I like to hold on to that idea that as a parent, if you're employing, here's a positive coping mechanism. Let's go for a run. Let's sing some songs. Let's take some deep breaths. You know, that they're going to be less likely. And I think we talked about this before we hit record, but I want to make sure we talk about it now. Also knowing your family history around addiction. So I want to be perfectly clear that my family does not have any addiction in its past, um, at least the past that we know about, um, and on either side. And so I think my parents felt because there is no history and they themselves have never struggled Mm -hmm. with it. They did not. I I think they would have parented very differently if there was a history Mm -hmm. of substance abuse because there is this propensity for that to continue. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up and because I had forgotten it's so easy to get in the weeds on this it's still kind of fresh for me and so it can go into the ditch of just my personal story and I want to make sure it stays practical so thank you for bringing it back to that because we were talking about this before we hit record about there is a physiological component to this and so it's important to remember that while there are behaviors around it and there are choices around it and I don't want to entirely remove that personal responsibility piece that would just not even be appropriate that the brain of an addict is very different. And so what's going to happen to them when they try a substance is different than someone who maybe doesn't come with that predisposition or a family history or that genetic component, what have you. There's many things. And and even now, people are still learning how this is all interconnected. But there is definitely a difference. We've even seen PET scans. The brains of addicts look different. Mm -hmm. And so the way they respond to chemical substances is not the same. And I think one thing that can come as an encouragement from that is if you're a parent who's dealt with this, or even if you just have a family member or something, and most of us at least maybe less than six degrees of separation, know somebody who's had a struggle with this is remembering it's not your fault. And I think particularly for parents, that's so key because it's way, way easy to go into the guilt. What could I have done? What did I not do that I should have done? You can just play that game all day long and to remember that there's this other thing going on. There's some context here with even just how this child is wired that isn't about how you parented. You could have done something different all day long, and this could have still been the outcome, and it's just important to remember. Well, and I also think that if you are someone who personally has a history of addiction or has family members or it runs in the family, that it also changes the conversations you need to be having around this. Mm -hmm. So a, a similar example, my mom died from ovarian cancer and has this, you know, this mutated gene. The conversations I will have with Rhiannon about needing to stay on top of her female health are going to be totally different than probably the conversations you had with Sienna based on our family history. She's going to have to be so much more on it. She's going to have to make some early decisions. Um, and that's just because of our family history. So this is the same thing. If you have this history, the way you talk about drugs and alcohol is going to be really important so that they understand this changes the, the conversations I have to have with you. Oh, it absolutely does. And we've even done that with the siblings Mm -hmm. and said, you know, you need to know that because there's this in your family now is probably not going to be a great idea for you either. And to at least take that into consideration. Mm -hmm. Of course, like you said, we're not with them 24 seven, especially at these ages, they're going to be away from us. And they may make decisions that we aren't a fan of or that we don't approve of or what have you. But for them to be armed with the knowledge of, hey, this exists, and it might affect what you think about as you encounter these things. So it's really important. I have a funny story before we close. So we were talking about this the other day, um, the kids and I in the car. And Reese said to me, Mommy, how does marijuana make you feel? 
like what does it feel like and I said well it can feel a couple different ways I said some for some people it helps them feel really 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 relaxed I said for some people it makes them laugh like they can't stop laughing everything's funny and he said oh well I'll never need to try that because I already think everything's funny (laughs) I said awesome (laughs) that's great (laughs) I love it oh well and that's actually a fair conversation because one of the things that I know that I've talked about even before I met Scott with my two biological kids with Sienna and Mark was if you are looking to this it's worth asking why why are you thinking you need to do something to feel better or so we've been talking about that since they were small and about being just excited enough about life and finding joy and the difference between happiness and joy which I hope we get to talk about someday but those are good things to talk about so it's actually a great segue because instead of a quote I just wanted to give a thought and it's kind of one more little practical piece too that as you're raising young adults and even starting in early grade school which is where you're at and this is what we're all about at raising adults anyway but is looking at is our help actually help or is it moved over into enabling and i know that for scott and i there are areas where we would have to say it leaked over into enabling and that maybe we can step back in all areas of parenting but certainly around substances and make sure that we're setting them up to have healthy relationships with these things if they're going to do it but also to be armed with the information and that we don't end up inadvertently helping them along to become crippled by something like this and just letting it sit there. Uh, that's really key. And I think it's an easy thing to unfortunately slip into. Even even the most well-meaning parents will sometimes find that some of the things they were doing might have been aiding and abetting the addiction. Mm-hmm. So that's a generic parenting question, though. It's not just about this topic. Think about that. Is your help actually helping? I think about it with something as simple as sometimes kids will forget their lunch. Mm-hmm. Are you the parent who drives home and brings it? Or are you the parents like, well, I'm, you're going to be a little bit hungry today, but you know they're not going to starve if they don't eat again until dinner. And they might even have a friend who offers them something. It's interesting the way that our help is sometimes not helpful. Yeah. I, I see you have comments. I, I, I do because this actually happened with one of my children where they were forgetting their backpack every day. Oh. And so this was not just not every once day, in a but, while, you know, twice a week. And I was driving it to school. And so after the third time it happened, I said, I'm going to do this one more time. And after that, you're going to have to go to school without your backpack. And the lunch is in the backpack. Mm. Um, and it happened one more time. And then it happened again. And so I messaged the teacher and I explained this was the setup and I'm all about natural consequences. And so can you just be extra loving to this child today? Because they're probably going to have a hard time. And this child came home in tears. I was so embarrassed. I was so hungry. And I said, I'm so sorry. That hurts my heart to know that you felt that way. Um, But I I told you, you have to be responsible Mm -hmm. for your things. It's not my job. And um, this child never did it again. Isn't that fascinating? It's so true how that works. Mark once was, when he was younger, really struggled to get ready in time. And I, he had to go to school in his pajamas. And guess how many times that happened, Kira? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Once. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. He didn't get to do calendar because he wasn't dressed for school. And that was a real bummer. I had no problem getting him dressed after that. <laughs> but, yeah. And I think it's, it comes back to what you said, that we want to come at it with love. We want to come at it with the belief that they're going to solve it and that we can be a part of that. And then we also have to recognize at what point are we preventing solving the problem 
because of our love for them. That's right. Mm -hmm. No, that's exactly it. And so you can pour all the time and resources and energy into it that you want, but you want to make sure it's going in a good direction. Like, let's put resources toward treatment. Let's put resources toward getting you in a group. Let's put resources to making sure we have a really safe house or we keep, like, for instance, we have a dry house. Mm -hmm. So there's no alcohol in our house at all. Things like that. We'll put our resources there, but not in, oh, what? You ran out of gas money? We'll give you cash? Hmm. Maybe we don't want to give cash to someone who's had a problem with addiction or some, you know, thinking about those kind of things, letting the help be help, not enablement. Yeah. Huge. I love it. Well, thanks for listening. Sorry we ran a little bit over today, but such an important topic. And Dina, thank you for sharing such a vulnerable yeah, thing. Thank and you thanks, for Scott, me. for letting us share that as yes. well. And just I'm sure our listeners really, really appreciate being kind of let into something very real. So if you have questions for Dina or um, opinions for me, <laughs> uh, feel free to write in info at futurefocusedparenting.com. And don't forget to like us on Facebook. Instagram at Raising Adults or at Future Focus Parenting. And of course, please, 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 reviews, reviews, and ratings. We really, really appreciate them. Raising Adults is produced by Kira Dorian and Dina Thayer and recorded in my laundry room. Music by Seattle band Hanalee. Thanks for listening. <laughs>